The Iowa Republican Party will hold its caucus January 15th. We'll talk about the issues many Iowans are weighing with one of the top candidates for President of the United States. And we'll get an update on two grain movement issues that are threatening U.S. corn, soybean, and wheat export markets. Live from the grip of actual deep, dark winter via Farm <laughs> yeah. Journal broadcast, this is AgriTalk. <laughs> this morning we begin with a conversation with Florida Governor and Presidential Candidate Ron DeSantis. Then it's Mike Steenhook from the Soy Transportation Coalition. And directly following the news, Greg Henderson from Drovers. I'm handsome newsman Davis Michelson. Now, here's the host of AgriTalk, Chip Flory. Absolutely. It is the darkness of winter. My mm-hmm. gosh, mm-hmm. it took a long time before the gray light started to sneak across the eastern horizon this morning, mm-hmm. didn't it? It really did. It really <laughs> did. Yeah. Yeah. It's best to wow. stay inside today. It yeah. really is. Just yeah, welcome inside. to winter. Here uh-huh. we are. I told you it was coming. You didn't believe. You scoffed. <laughs> Dude. You know? I've been preaching this since like July, and you're like July. Whatever. (laughs) It's coming. It's coming. I'm never going to doubt you again, Davis. Let's not be caught with our speedos down again. (laughs) Or ever. (laughs) Ever. Ever. Thank you very much. Let's go with ever. Oh, shoot. What a show we've got coming. We're going to talk with Henderson about what's going on on the livestock feeding. Mike Steenhook is fresh back from Panama. He was down there taking a look at the situation on the Panama Canal, so we'll get an update there. I know Mm -hmm. that he also has an update for us and some perspective on the the rail bridge bridges that have been closed into Mexico. And, of course, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis will be joining us in the next segment. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is part of an effort that we have been working on for a while and basically we've got the same five questions that we want to ask the the uh, Republican and Democrat candidates mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. president of the United States and and uh, get asked those same questions so that we yep. can get answers that we can compare and, and see how they answer them so for sure I'm, uh, I've mentioned it yesterday uh, in the uh, in the afternoon show I'm talking about a level playing field we're not here to to gotcha these candidates we're not oh, no. here to so if that's what you're looking for you know you're going to be disappointed because we want to hear a consistent you know ask them consistent questions and get consistent responses and, right. and measure them all one to one exactly exactly so that yep. we can do apples to apples exactly so yeah all right let's get to the news buddy what do you got boy you gotta love apples don't you i do Let's start with the National Weather Service uh, weather outlook. A moderate risk of excessive rainfall over parts of Southern California on Thursday. Slight risk of of excessive rainfall over parts of Southern California and the Southwest on Friday. Light to moderate snow over the Cascades, Northern Intermountain Region and the Central Rockies. And snow at the higher elevations over parts of the Southwest, Great Basin and Southern Rockies on Friday. Looks like all of the snow will be pointed downward. Yeah, well, yeah, but if you're going to have a white Christmas, you're probably going to have to be in an in a higher elevation. Yeah. Uh, the rest of the country looks like it's going to be brown. Yep. <laughs> well, the National Corn Growers Association lauded an EPA decision that advances the request of several governors to allow their states to sell E15 year-round to the Office of Management and Budget. The move now puts eight Midwestern states closer to year-round access to fuel with a 15% ethanol blend. RFA President and CEO Jeff Cooper is still looking for a national policy, saying, quote, we still need a permanent solution to ensure the drivers can still access E15 year-round. It's good news, but it's not quite enough. Chip? Well, it, you know, it, it does get us uh, year-round avail- or it will get us year-round availability of E15 in those eight states. But let's take this thing national. That's what they're saying. Yep. That's what Harold Woolley from National Corn Growers told us yesterday, too. Yep. Well, Chip, the U.S. banking sector is facing a significant challenge with potential losses of up to $160 billion due to anticipated defaults on commercial real estate loans. This according to a recent study by researchers. Morgan Stanley has estimated that lenders may need to renegotiate over $1.5 trillion in their commercial real estate portfolios by the end of 2025 to prevent defaults. 
Consumer spending increased less than initially anticipated with a growth rate of 3.1% compared to the 3.6% reported in the second estimate. Although it still marked the most significant gain since the fourth quarter of 2021, the slowdown in consumer spending was primarily driven by a decrease in services spending. Yeah, but consumer confidence this month Mm -hmm. is up big time from last month. Yep. It, it, so it's going to be interesting to see how that translates into Christmas sales. Mm-hmm. Well, global shippers of crude oil and fuels are facing increased expenses when booking tankers for extended routes to avoid potential disruptions at the Suez and the Panama Canal's chip. All them ships, whew, it's either yep. going to be super expensive to get through or they got to go the long way. Millions of dollars. Dude. Millions of dollars this is adding to shipping costs. Rice price, prices have reached a 15-year high due to growing concerns about rising demand and the potential impact of El Nino on the grain supply, which is a staple food for many people in Asia and Africa. A rice shortage would you know, uh, hit some of the poorest nations hardest. Exactly. And rice did not participate in the 2023 rally, but here mm-hmm. it is. Is it telling us something about what might happen in yeah. 24? Well, finally here, Chip, hundreds of ranchers in Colorado are concerned about several wolves that were airlifted into the state and released this week. Wolves were eradicated from Colorado in the 1940s after three years and dozens of public hearing disagreements. The first handful of wolves were moved from Oregon into Colorado. Yeah, well, that's something that we could talk about with Greg Henderson, editorial director at Drovers, too, Greg. I mean, all they got to do is talk to the guys up in Montana and, and Minnesota, northern Minnesota, about wolves. And they'll find oh, out absolutely. how yeah, Chip, they are. Uh, you know, the, those guys are already have struggled with those livestock losses due to wolves. And, and it's yep. only, you know, Colorado's yep. just looking for problems in, in my right. view. That's right. Talking about losses, we're dealing with it for both beef and pork producers, aren't we? Absolutely. You know, the Grinch has already visited livestock producers, Chip. Um Specifically, the Sterling Profit Tracker says that uh, the margins for feeding both cattle and hogs last week was the lowest or the worst since summer of 2020. That was the height of the pandemic. Yeah. Cattle were losing $110 a head and, and hogs were losing $57 a head. Man. But as we know, the outlook for those two species is much different, right, Chip? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, it, even though we've been under pressure on cattle here at the end of the year, it feels like cattle's got an opportunity to recover. Yeah. Sterling suggests the cowboys are going to have a good year next year. Cow-calf producers, he thinks they're going to make $400 a head. Hog producers, yeah, the you know the demand for pork is uh, softer. Uh, Production is going to be up again next year. So those fundamentals aren't as good on the pork side as they are on the beef side. On the beef side, we're looking at smaller numbers again, the production down another 4%. So prices should be good. You know, one of the keys that's different now, obviously, is interest rates. That's hitting everybody hard. Um you know, it's just it's just a totally different view for the for the two species going ahead. Yeah, yeah, and it, the the resiliency of the beef consumer is going to be tested, I think, in 2024. Will they continue to buy beef? They bought beef like crazy through 23, Greg. It, I got no reason to think that they're going to stop now. Well, I I agree with that thought, uh, and and it looks like that the, their spending is up, right? Right. Uh, consumer spending, so. That's another good indicator. Exactly. Thanks, Greg. Go to drovers.com. We've got Florida Governor Ron DeSantis next here on AgriTalk. Leave low yields in the dust and never look back. Rev up your return on investment with Syngenta. Our innovative portfolio of crop protection products outperforms and outyields any deal, giving you higher yield, and profit potential at the finish line. Syngenta, where better yield is the better deal. Always read and follow label instructions. All right, let's see here. Acuron corn herbicide. Powerful weed control? Check. Long-lasting residual? Check. Proven crop safety? Check. Acuron checks all the boxes which is why it outperforms and outyields all other corn herbicides by 5 to 15 bushels an acre. 
Talk to your local Syngenta retailer or visit findmorebushels.com to discover your revenue potential today. Always read and follow label instructions. Acuron is a restricted use pesticide. Retirement can be scary, but only if you're not prepared. That's why AARP created thisispretirement.org. Because unless you've already retired, you're in pretirement and you still have time to plan. Learn about retirement savings options, potential tax breaks, and how you can build savings over time. Visit thisispretirement.org for free resources to help you customize your action plan and feel the retirement fear disappear. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. This is Andrew McCray, host of the American Countryside. I'm also a farmer and rancher from Northwest Missouri, and I hope you'll join me each week for Farming the Countryside as we take a look at the top issues impacting agriculture as told by the people farming and working in our industry. We'll talk about markets and trade, share some of the latest tips and trends for grain and livestock producers, and take a look at trends impacting rural America. Join me for Farming the Countryside on many local radio stations or on your favorite podcast platform, or just go to farmingthecountryside.com. I'm Tyne Morgan, host of U.S. Farm Report, the only weekend television show that features some of agriculture's biggest names. From custom commentary from John Phipps to the stories of antique iron with Machinery Pete to a list of more than 30 marketing analysts, our weekly program focuses on the topics that matter most to you. We invite you to join us each weekend for U.S. Farm Report, timely, trusted tradition. Hey, I'm Reba McIntyre. Growing up in Oklahoma, I had big dreams of becoming a successful country music singer. But I also knew the odds were against me and that I needed an education to fall back on. Studying never got in the way of my dreams. In fact, school gave me lots of opportunities I wouldn't have had otherwise with my career. Please stay in school and try your best. You never know where a good education might take you. This message is brought to you by the U.S. Air Force. I don't know what you're thinking. So call us at 855-4-TALK-AG and tell us what's on your mind. Welcome back to AgriTalk. Glad that you are with us on this Thursday morning. And we've got a very special guest coming up next. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, uh, candidate for President of the United States. Governor, welcome to AgriTalk. Thank you so much for your time. Well, I appreciate you having me. Hope you guys have a Merry Christmas. Yeah. Oh, thank you very much. We will. Um, as as we've explained to the listeners, this is part of a project that we're working on. Same five questions for all the candidates so that we can we, we can compare the answers uh, very accurately here. Uh, number one on our list is what's your motivation? Why do you want the job? We're in jeopardy of being the first generation of Americans to leave to our kids and grandkids in America less prosperous and less free than the one we inherited. And as a father of a first grader, kindergartner, and preschooler, uh, that is not acceptable to me. Uh, I am not gonna sit idly by and watch the managed decline of this country. We are going to reverse the country's decline. Uh, we are going to usher in a new birth of freedom, and we are gonna create a revival of the American spirit. And I'm running for president to get the job done. Fantastic, okay. The number one issue or challenge for America, what is that and how are you how and when will you address it as president? I think it's I think it's multifactored. I mean, I think it's uh, the economic uh, struggles, the lack of sovereignty at our southern border uh, and then the the poor energy policy. So we'll do all that on day one. Uh, we're going to take Bidenomics, the rules, regulations, executive orders. Uh, we're going to reverse that. Uh, we need to get inflation prices and interest rates down. There's more to do than just the Bidenomics, but we are going to do the Bidenomics and get rid of that. We also need to declare a national emergency for our southern border on day one. I'm going to end this invasion. I'm going to build the border wall and I'm going to hold the Mexican drug cartels accountable for poisoning our people and killing them by the tens of thousands. Uh, and then we're going to reverse Biden's disastrous Green New Deal energy policies. We're not going to force people to buy electric vehicles. We're going to open up our domestic energy for production. We need low and reliable, low price and reliable energy in this country. It's good for individuals. It's good for businesses. And it's good for our national security. You know, we continue to talk about executive orders out there, Governor. Uh, they they were used ex excessively in the past three administrations now. 
Uh, I think there are a lot of voters out there that would like to see those executive orders pushed to the sidelines, and let's get it done with Congress. Just the thought that that I pick up from a lot of no. Well, you're right. I mean, I think you're. I mean, when Biden came in, he reversed all of Trump's policies because none of it had been done through Congress. Uh, You've got to be able to work with Congress so that this stuff has staying power beyond your term in office, and and I'll be able to do that. We have a plan how to how to navigate that. Perfect. Perfect. Okay, let's talk uh, rural America here. Ag, farming, ranching. What issues will you address as president? We're going to get the federal bureaucracy off the back of the agriculture industry, particularly our family farmers and ranchers. EPA is not going to be able to go on your property because you have a puddle and say it's waters of the United States. Uh, We're going to rein in the EPA. We're going to rein in the USDA. Uh, farmers know how to take care of their land better than government bureaucrats. Uh, we're also going to reverse Biden's electric vehicle mandates so that we can support liquid fuels. We're going to do year-round E15 and also allow for higher blends to be sold as, as people uh, want to do it. And I think that there's a market for it. Uh, we are going to go against states like California who are doing things like Proposition 12, uh, which is impacting how people are producing pork in Iowa. Uh, Californians should not be telling Iowa pork producers how to do their job. We're going to provide relief there. We want to eliminate the death tax, particularly for fa- family farms. You shouldn't have to sell the farm just to be able to pass it down uh, to the next generation. And it's very important that we do that. And then we're going to work to make sure uh, that our farmers, uh, what they're producing, uh, can be sold all over the world. We want to increase access to markets in other part of the world. Rain in USDA was one of your comments there. Are you talking uh, specifically about some of the climate smart farming programs at USDA? So we are going to absolutely kneecap all of the climate related impositions on agriculture. And I think it's more than just USDA. This whole ESG movement, they're trying to do it through the securities and exchange, all these other things. Ultimately, the movement behind this views agriculture as a big problem to what they're trying to accomplish. So they target agriculture as being like a source of all this problem. This will lead it. If those policies go into effect, it will create a food crisis in this country. Uh, It is not going to work. It's very dangerous. So I'm going to provide relief for that, not just in USDA, but across the board. ESG will be dead on arrival in my administration. Fantastic. Okay. Uh, Before we address this next issue, I should note that the Iowa Corn Growers and the Iowa Renewable Fuels Association and others say that you, Governor DeSantis, are the only candidate that checks all the boxes with your support for biofuels. So describe that to us. Describe your energy and renewable energy policy plans. So we want American energy. And yes, that means uh, opening up federal lands. It means doing things like Keystone, uh, Marcellus Shale, but it also means producing biofuels here in the Midwest, uh, here in the United States. States, important part of the economy, really good for jobs, uh, helps with affordability. And so we're going to be a supporter of that. And yes, we've checked all the boxes uh, across the board because we understand uh, how important it is. And uh, as these issues come up uh, with agriculture generally and biofuel specifically, I have so many great people uh, that I'm friends with here in Iowa uh, who will uh, provide great counsel from Governor Reynolds to members of your legislature, to so many great members of your of your farming community. So uh, I'm excited to be able to work with the folks here in Iowa uh, as we advance good policy for them over many years in the future. If I can, I want to mention uh, one of the policies from the Trump administration here. They made rather liberal use of the small refinery exemptions. Where would that stand in a DeSantis administration? You know, that would be a case by case thing. Um, you know, I know Trump had done some of that stuff. I don't know really what, what went all into it. Uh, but obviously, we understand that there are stakeholders here uh, in Iowa on that. And, and we want to make sure that that, that that we make everybody happy. OK, interesting. Um, OK, number five, how will businesses, small and large, view the DeSantis fiscal policies? 
be a big improvement over what we're seeing now. And you can just look at my record in Florida. Uh, we've cut taxes every single year. We've run big budget surpluses. And I've actually paid off 25% of our state's total debt that we've accumulated since the inception of Florida as a state in the 19th century. Uh, imagine if you could do that in Washington. We're the number one rated economy in all 50 states. Uh, we're number one for new business formations, number one for entrepreneurship, number one for talent development, number one for education. Our government, you know, we're going to downsize the federal bureaucracy. State of Florida, we have one of the lowest, if not the lowest, uh, state employees per capita anywhere in the country. Our budget, even though we have millions of more people than New York State, is half the size of New York State. Yet when people move to New from New York to Florida, they tell me our services are better, our roads are better, and our schools are better. So we're doing all this at half the cost and in a much smaller government. So the bureaucracy that all businesses in particular have had to contend with uh, is way out of bounds. It's way excessive. So we're going to be taking that off the backs uh, of our small and medium-sized businesses. You know, the big, the big corporations, they tend to do fine with big government because all the rules and regulations and red tape, that gives them a competitive advantage over smaller companies. The people that get killed by the federal bureaucracy uh, are the small family-owned businesses. And so those are going to be the businesses that I want to see to, to, to succeed in this country. And Washington's no longer going to be a roadblock to their success. Fantastic. Governor, you have done a fantastic job of respecting the amount of time that we've got. I've got time for one more with a quick, maybe even two more with a quick answer here. But on trade policy, former President Trump says he's going to invoke at least a 10 percent tariff on all imports into the U.S. Is that something that you would consider? No. Um, first of all, that would raise prices for Americans. It would hurt the inflation uh, that we're seeing. And then it would lead to retaliation from from other countries. And that would end up hurting farmers because they would cut off access uh, to some of our agriculture products. I will be willing to use strategically uh, trade policy uh, to make sure that we can reshore key elements of our economy vis-a-vis -vis China. And I think that that's important. And I think Trump talked about that. Uh, yeah. I don't think that they had uh, great success in it. But if he does a global tariff, uh, Americans will pay more for, for things. And it will. There will be reverberations in the agriculture community. Okay, final question. Yes or no? Should former President Trump be on the primary ballot in Colorado? Yes, he should. He should be on. That was a mistake that the Supreme Court there made. Governor DeSantis, fantastic. Thank you so much for your time, sir. We certainly appreciate it. All right. God bless. Take care. All right. That is Ron DeSantis, a candidate for president of the United States of America. There I was driving along when I saw the corn laying down in the field, goosenecked again, even though I tried everything. New traits, existing soil insecticides. Every corn grower knows the hassle of gooseneck corn. But now there's Nerisma insecticide from BASF, a better, stronger infro insecticide that controls corn rootworm and below ground pests. Stand up for your corn with Nerisma insecticide. Ask your authorized BASF retailer about Nerisma and always read and follow label directions. Hi, I'm Ag Day host Clinton Griffiths, and I invite you to join me each morning as we cover the nation's food system, from fields of green to orchards of orange and livestock everywhere in between. America runs on agriculture, and here at Ag Day, agriculture is what we do best. Listen as our analysts track the markets, learn about innovations in technology and sustainability, and live the country lifestyle through the eyes of rural America. Join me, Clinton Griffiths, for Ag Day, the country experience. Time for Markets Now with the experts from ProFarmer. Joining us now, ProFarmer editor Brian Grady. Beach, some mixed trade in the grains. What's going on? Yeah, uh, I'll start with the soy complex, Chip. Uh, so, you know, dry areas of central northeastern Brazil have received some rains the past couple days. Uh, there's more in the forecast for the next week. Now, uh, these rains aren't going to help the early maturing soybeans, and, and uh, but they should provide a little bit of support, at least uh, temporary relief anyway, uh, from the heat and dryness uh, that the in the later maturing beans. And, and so that's putting pressure on soybean futures, um, trading about 8 to 10 cents lower here at mid-morning. 
meal futures are lower as well as our soy oil. So uh, broad selling across the soy complex this morning. Um, not the case in corn. Uh, yeah. It's getting corrective gains. Uh, you know, new contract lows yesterday. And, and so the market's been beaten down pretty well here recently and, and just working to the upside amid corrective buying. Okay. And wheat's kind of a mixed bag right now, isn't it? Yeah, uh, corrective trade in the SRW yeah. contracts, but uh, hard to find buyer interest in the other two markets. Not a lot of price change in the livestock markets. Is volume kind of quiet too? Yeah, so uh, waiting on some big reports uh, coming up uh, yeah. tomorrow afternoon. Uh, cattle on feed, hogs and pigs, cold storage. So we got the whole gamut of reports coming out uh, after the markets close tomorrow. But uh, just waiting on that. And also in the cash market uh, or the cattle market, waiting on cash cattle trade to develop. So just really quiet trade there. Um, feeders are, are leaking a little bit to the downside. And uh, we got mixed price action and, and really quiet trade in the hog market so far today. Yeah, it looks like this cattle market, it's, I, I know we're lower today, but it feels like it's working on something, doesn't it? Like, oh, absolutely. Low? Yeah. Yeah, um, working on lows, definitely. Yep. All right, Brian, thanks, buddy. Good stuff. That is Pro Farmer Editor Brian Grady on Markets Now. <coughs> Hello? Man, where are you? I thought you were coming. I can't. I'm in bed with the flu. <coughs> the flu? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Grandma's about to crowd, sir. Man, I'll call you back. Don't get stuck at home with the flu. A flu shot is safe, effective, and you can get it at the same time as your COVID-19 vaccine. A flu shot is the best way to prevent the flu and its potentially serious complications. Don't get flu FOMO. Learn more at GetMyFluShot.org. Brought to you by the AMA, CDC, and the Ad Council. The Scoop Podcast is where we talk about tight supply chains, emerging agronomic challenges, technology tools delivering ROI. I'm Margie Echelkamp, editor of The Scoop and host of The Scoop Podcast. Join me as I interview leaders from across the ag retail sector. Farmers are working hard for every bushel, and their trusted advisors are by their side. Find The Scoop Podcast wherever you find podcasts so you are up to date on everything ag retail. Opinions expressed on AgriTalk do not necessarily reflect the views of Farm Journal Broadcasting, affiliate stations, or sponsors. Our name says it all. AgriTalk. What more do you need to know? Wow, Davis. That was fun. <laughs> I just had to. I was on best behavior for that. <laughs> you were. <laughs> just don't say anything, Davis. Just don't say anything. <laughs> That's not true. Close call. No, no, no. That was fun. And it was awesome. Uh, I, I do, I do want to say thank you to uh, Governor DeSantis for making time for us. Yep. And as I said, for respecting the time constraints that we were with, he didn't yeah. mess around, did he? He answered the questions. He absolutely did. He got straight to the point. Uh, Boy, I like a lot of what he had to say. I'm going to say that. Well, I don't know if we can do commentary or not, but it, well, man. we might we might do a little more commentary at the end of the show. I, uh, we'll we'll see where it takes us. Okay, yep. Yep. Uh, if you would like to make any comments about uh, the conversation that we just had with Governor DeSantis, uh, we got the the final segment. Uh, the show this morning is wide open. Eight five five four eight two five five two four. That's eight five five four talk ag. You can also send us a tweet. Just make sure to include hashtag AgriTalk in the message so that we will be sure to see it. Uh, uh, would appreciate your feedback on that. Right now, let's bring in Mike Steenhook, Executive Director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. Mike, my friend, it's good to talk with you. How you doing, buddy? I am doing fine, Chip. It's good to be with you. Yeah, I'm glad you're here. I trust you had safe travels to and from Panama. Yeah, it was it it went really well. So uh Good. yeah. Thank, what group it's went easier down? to get it's easier it's easier to get to and from Panama than to get through the Panama Canal right now, though unfortunately. <laughs> unfortunately <laughs> true. Well said. Well said. What was the group that you went down there with? So this is the uh the the board of directors of the Soy Transportation Coalition. And okay. uh in addition to our board, we had a number of other soybean leaders. So we had about 70 people total wow. with the group. And you know, the the, ar the argument is if we're gonna effectively advocate for these transportation issues, we need to understand them first. And there's nothing like enhancing understanding than to actually meet with these people and to see it firsthand. And so that right. that's one of the big reasons why we were there. Panama Canal is an important link in our supply chain, so it's yeah. important for us to understand it. 
Okay, so help us understand it. Mike, what did you learn? Well, you know, it's gotten a, you know, last year, 600 million bushels of U.S. soybeans went through the Panama Canal. It's a, it's a real important link in our supply chain. Um, the canal has received a lot of notoriety as of late uh, due to the drought conditions there. And, um, you know, the Panama Canal, uh, just in short, it, it's not a sea level canal, which is just essentially you dig a ditch from one ocean to the next. And you just keep digging until the two oceans essentially meet via that trench or that canal. The, the Panama Canal is a, a system built on locks. And so you've got a stair step up to the high elevation area of Panama because Panama is pretty mountainous, even though it's very narrow, not very wide. And then you have a stair step down. For those locks to, to be able to operate, you have to have fresh water that can allow that mechanism to occur. So you have to have a sufficient amount of fresh water. So if you have a depleted reservoir of fresh water, you have to make adjustments. And yeah. the canal has responded by limiting the transits um, per day. And what kind of the, the result is for dry bulk vessels that, that, that involve and include soybeans, grain, and other commodities we're unfortunately kind of on the outside looking in right now. We, what was notable when we were down there is not just what we saw, but what we did not see. We saw when we were there at the, at the canal, both on the Atlantic and Pacific side, we saw a, car a couple carriers of automobiles going through the canal. We saw container vessels going through the canal. We saw LNG vessels going through the canal, but we didn't see one dry bulk vessel that would be transporting soybeans go through the canal. And so really it's, it just kind of underscores the point that this important link in our supply chain is is effectively not available right now and that's really unfortunate yeah mike the un the other really unfortunate thing about this is what we can do about it is pray for rain absolutely you know it's it's uh you know it's kind of the same dilemma that we're having with the mississippi river and yeah. you know with these these uh, low water conditions now the Panama Canal, to their credit, they they've employed a series of water management strategies that, you know, help mitigate the the loss of that. But you know, think about it. Every time those lock gates open up, and a ship exits one of those lock chambers, roughly fifty million gallons of fresh water will make its way either to the Pacific Ocean or the Atlantic Ocean. The city of Minneapolis every day uses about fifty million gallons of water. So every time a gate opens up, Minneapolis. Minneapolis. Wow. And so that that really shows you've got to have a significant amount of water to make it all work. And so there's there's only so much you can do with these water saving measures. It, it really does involve an abundance of rain is what we're going to need. Yeah. So options for the grain shippers. What what are, we're ta we're talking about making the long trip down around the horn, right? That's that's one of them. But that's obviously more lengthy. And, you know, time is money. It can involve going around the southern tip of Africa, Cape of Good Hope, which that's, again, uh, more lengthy uh, delays associated with that. Uh, a lot of vessels have, you've seen a pretty dramatic shift to the Suez Canal, but unfortunately, that's another critical link uh, juncture in our supply chain that has gotten a lot of negative press lately due to those uh, Yemenis terrorists who have attacked a number of vessels in the Red Sea. Yeah. And so a lot of these ocean vessel companies are saying we are either going to eliminate transits through the Suez Canal or we're going to significantly mitigate those. If you even do use the Suez Canal, you're going to have additional insurance costs because there's this threat of attack. Yeah. And so all of a sudden, here's another link in our supply chain, another alternative that's that's really problematic right now. Mike, in all the, the years that you've been working on transportation issues, have you ever seen this long of a list of problems on water, uh, water going shipments as, as what we've got right now with the Mississippi, the Panama, the it, with all of these issues? This is the, these are this is a significant list of headwinds. I, I'm not having a hard time developing my Christmas Christmas wish list. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it, this absolutely, you know, we're having a number of these challenges and what, what's frustrating to me is, you know, okay, you have some of these that are weather induced like the Mississippi river or like the Panama canal, but then what really frustrates me are those that are, that are human induced. And that's obviously you've got the Suez canal and that's a whole geopolitical issue. 
we got the current issue at the U.S.-Mexico border, which is clearly a human-induced, complicated issue, I get it, but it's human-induced. And so um, it seems like we, we, we've got these things that we're kind of adding insult to injury when you're starting to add all of these things together. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Talk to me about the rail situation going into Mexico. Uh, uh, the, what was it? El Paso and Eagle, uh, Eagle Point, Eagle Pass. Uh, it, the bridges there shut down on December 17th. December, the, the, the shutdown of those bridges is already causing some anxious times for livestock producers down in Mexico, isn't it? Absolutely. You know, you've, you've got, so the, those are, those are two critical crossing points uh, for BNSF railway and union Pacific. They're not the only crossings for those railroads or for us railroads in general, but those are two really critical ones. Um, you know, last year, $3.64 billion worth of us soybeans went to Mexico, our number two market, 863 million of U.S. soybean meal to Mexico, our number two market, 117 million for U.S. soybean oil to Mexico, our number four market. Most of that goes by rail. Yeah. And, and we have this geographic competitive advantage with, with the Mexican market, naturally so. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of other international customers where they can easily pivot from, we'll buy from U.S. today, we'll buy from Brazil tomorrow. They can make that easy pivot. But for Mexico, we've got this natural competitive advantage. And so it's really frustrating. And this is one of the few bright spots is the Mexican market in this overall, you know, export challenge that we're in. And so it's really frustrating to see this occur. So, yeah, livestock industry is going to be impacted by that. Shippers are having to delay their shipments. What that means is a cash flow issue. They're paying more interest costs. You're going to see an impact on basis for farmers if this continues to be prolonged it's a it's a lose 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 situation and so we're we're encouraging the administration to reopen that border as soon okay. as possible yeah i was going to say it's a complicated situation but i was going to ask are you going to lean on the administration to to open up the 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 passage i mean it, it's got to be done very carefully absolutely you know you you uh you know you we understand that the, the the migrant crisis is obviously a crisis and there's obviously there's a lot of solutions being explored for that. But the, the argument I try to make is surely erecting an obstacle between U.S. farmers and their Mexican customers is not one of those solutions. Right. Um, this is one of the bright spots in, in our right. relationship with Mexico. And, and we need to do everything we can to preserve that. Yeah. Yeah. And and. At, at the same time, it, we, we need to respect the jobs that, that they are doing and, and the job that they're trying to do in slowing the entry of the illegal uh, migrants. It's, boy, it's complicated here, Mike. It's, uh, yeah, no easy answer, is there? No, no, there isn't. But, uh, you know, I, I just think, you know, we – you know, we, we, we talk a lot about wanting to enhance the supply chain and invest money as a country to make sure that agriculture and other industries are successful. But then if we start uh, putting up do not enter signs yeah. uh, all over the place, it, it doesn't matter the condition of your bridges or your roads. If, if, you, if you cannot enter, if you cannot pass, then you're not able to connect supply with demand. And, right. and so uh, having that railroad, that, that's, that cross-border delivery, really important for our industry. Right. Mike, uh, thank you so much for the the update on what's going on down in Panama and uh, for for the for what's happening on the on the Mexican border. Thank you so much, buddy. Hey, it's good visiting with you. Merry Christmas. Yeah. Merry Christmas to you, too. Mike Steenhook, executive director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. All right. Davis and I will be back to wrap things up in a moment. Cancer can feel like something we can't do anything about, but you can. There are screening tests that can catch cancer early when it may be easier to treat. Begin cervical screening at age 25. At 45, start colorectal and breast screening. At 50, discuss lung screening with a doctor. Find resources for free and low-cost screening at cancer.org slash get screened. This is a public service message from the American Cancer Society. When I got out of the Marine Corps, I was 
not just, you know, working with my physical disabilities, I was emotionally broken. I remember thinking, how did I get here? How? It was affecting me in my marriage. My husband, he didn't know how to help me. He actually called Wounded Word Project. Wounded Word Project had this thing called Couples Odyssey. It was an eye opener and it, I think it really saved our marriage. They gave us books and resources and tools on how to help us with that. I just love him. I love you, honey. I love you too. Watching her fight for her mental health, fighting for other veterans, fighting for this family, uh, helped me to fight too. Well, I always loved her, but I love her 10 times more for that. Not all wounds are visible. If you or a loved one are suffering, visit woundedwarriorproject.org slash not alone. There's danger out there. It lurks on highways and quiet neighborhood streets. It's more likely to kill you than a shark and more terrifying than the biggest snake. Distracted driving claims lives every day. Every notification, swipe, social post, video, or selfie while driving risks your life. So while you might think public speaking or the zombie apocalypse is scary, what's really terrifying and even deadly is distracted driving. Eyes forward, don't drive distracted. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Joel Spencer is VP of Customer and Product Innovation at United Animal Health. Joel, what are some of the things that you're working on right now that producers need to know about? Uh, that's a good question. Now with uh, you know changing health situations in which we're dealing with, production pressures and new demands, going after these interactions of health issues and application of new technologies and management decisions on how to ease some of these health challenges are some of the big pressures which we're working on with customers today. Yeah, so how do you figure out what to chase and And then how do you work through it with the customers? So if we can go and figure out what pathogens are contributing to, say, a clinical outcome that's challenging the system, that's where we got to start. You know, and good diagnostics is the critical piece. And that comes through working closely with the health teams. It comes through working with diagnostic labs, uh, universities, but really getting those details of what pathogens are contributing. And you have to have some really good low level resolution in order to be able to find what is there, because usually there's three or four different things that are contributing and not just one. Gotcha. Gotcha. You know, we've covered a lot, but what's the take home you want listeners to remember? You know, there's bacterial challenges and pathogens, uh, viral, protozoa, you know, coxie infection is a a big issue in our industry right now. Fungal, environmental interactions, um, they're all contributing. You know, we got to dig into each one of those areas separately, Um, but then also look at how they're contributing and building on top of one another to cause the outcome. And then also doing research that's controlled at times when it needs to be but then also doing quality evaluations and research in the field and with the genetics, the health that the customers have. All right, yeah, complex is right. Where do we go for more information? Get a hold of me um, on the phone or on email, joel.spencer at unitedanh.com. My cell number will be posted on that email as we go through and, and uh, we'll go from there. Excellent, that's Joel Spencer, VP of Customer and Product Innovation at United Animal Health. Sometimes I just cannot believe all the storms we've gone through here. I can only hope that we'll be able to leave this house to you one day, baby. You're our legacy. Planning for these disasters will make sure we're safe. And it's the best way to protect that legacy. Protect your legacy. Visit ready.gov forward slash plan for the tools and tips you need to start your emergency preparedness plan today. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. I'm Tyne Morgan, host of U.S. Farm Report. Join me each weekend as we explore the news and issues that matter the most to agriculture. We know this past year has been challenging in many ways, but as agriculture continues to adapt, we are right there with you. From markets to weather, each weekend we take a deep dive into what matters most. Join me each weekend for U.S. Farm Report, timely, trusted tradition. If the world is your oyster, we've got pearls of wisdom on AgriTalk. Those oysters on ice. Winter's oh, here. Huh? Yes. Yeah, Those are delicious. Welcome back to AgriTalk, everyone. Your pal, Davis Michelson, here with Chip Flory. Big show today. Lots of, yeah. lots went on. You know, I'm thinking uh, seasonally here. Hey, 
before we do anything, let's let's have a little Christmas fun from the Agritalk Men of Song. Shall we? I think we should. Okay. Um, I hear the sleigh bells ringing. There's hoofbeats up above. I left the milk and carrots and drank my nightcap down. It's Christmas time at midnight, and I'm just trying to sleep. <laughs> but these jingles keep a jangling. Can't get to sleep tonight. <laughs> The Agritalk Men of Song, North Pole well Prison, a uh, Christmas classic. <laughs> the North on... Pole Prison, huh? That's right. That's right. Yep. <laughs> I mean, the guy just wants a little sleep. Who can't? Uh, who can't identify with that? You know. That's right. That's just right. Just a little with the reindeer. Um, <laughs> okay, so let's unpack this conversation with a presidential candidate and Florida governor, uh, Ron. DeSantis. I don't know how you okay. want to handle this, dude. I uh, because we do. I mean, we don't want to be partisan. We don't want to be exactly. in support of a certain specific candidate. We want to maintain nope. some sort of neutrality here. Yeah. Uh, and yet, I got to be honest. He said some things that I I really liked. Yeah. Yeah. I I I will agree with you. You the uh, the caution that I expressed with the exec with the use of executive orders. Yep. Uh, you know, this is something that we've heard from former president trump as well when it it scares you a little bit when when they say that they will act as a dictator for any period of time mm-hmm. but when trump comes on and says i'm going to be a dictator on day one and we're going to use executive orders and get rid of this and this and that it it makes you wonder well you know every four years yeah we get executive orders on day one that reverse day one executive orders of the previous administration Yep. Uh, we get nowhere. Yep. Uh, we're left with uncertainty when it comes to things like, well, I'll 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 use it uh, the the Green New Deal that uh, Governor DeSantis mentioned. You know, it's the Inflation Reduction Act. Well, yeah, he didn't call it that though. He called no, it the Green New no, Deal. Exactly. Uh, that that he will be using executive orders to turn back many of the initiatives in the Inflation Reduction Act or Green New Deal. Um, there's a lot of money that's being spent right now gearing up for those green energy projects. Mm-hmm. Whether that money is being spent wisely or not, I'm just saying there's a lot of money that is being spent on those projects. On on AgriTalk, especially on the free for all, Davis, we have we have commented several times over the course of the past three years or two years since the passage of the Inflation Reduction Act that you know is this something that you just wait out for the next administration mm-hmm. because if the White House does change to Republican, they're just going to get rid of these these projects anyway. Well, and it is interesting. He pulled back the curtain on the process just a little bit and looking longer term mm-hmm. in saying, okay, executive orders um, kind of get it done initially, but if you really want something to yeah. stick, now you need to run it through Congress. You need to go through the channels yeah. and do all that. And and he certainly did seem to have a pretty good grasp and a plan on Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, the fight against Proposition 12 and state commerce rules. He I mentioned like that those comments. Yep. Uh, I I asked when he mentioned reining in USDA, I asked him if he's talking about the climate smart farming programs, mm-hmm. and he answered that with more aggressiveness than what I anticipated. There, Davis, he mm-hmm. said he's going to kneecap the climate yeah. smart farming pro- programs at USDA. Yep. Yep. Um, I thought you did a great job. Leading him through some of these questions here, you asked him what his priorities are. I wrote them down in order here. Uh, the first priority is the economy. Yep. Uh, the second priority, the the border. He says he yep. wants to declare a national emergency. He used the word invasion Yep. down at the southern border. Uh, energy policy, he wants to reverse that Green New Deal, as you said. And then uh, he kind of circled back to reverse Bidenomics. Right. right. Those would be his priorities. Yeah, that's, that's the order that I saw. And when we were... Talking about E15, I shouldn't have said E15, biofuels in general. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the 
the the question, the follow up question that I had was looking back at what the Trump administration did with its use of the small refinery exemptions. Uh, right now, it seems that there is a policy against the small refinery exemptions and handle it some other way to handle it some other way. Uh, Governor DeSantis mentioned the case by case scenario that mm-hmm. they, the, that his EPA would look at the small refinery exemption requests on a case by case basis. Um, that's a lot of, you know, guessing from month to month, week well, to week, yeah. even. It's a lot of dinking around. <laughs> on whether or not 15 billion gallons is 15 billion gallons. Remember during the Trump administration, <laughs> every time we had Senator Grassley on, uh-huh. it, at some point <laughs> in the conversation, he was going to say, doggone it, 15 billion gallons is 15 billion gallons. Yep, yep. Well, we've got the 15 billion gallons right now. I got a feeling if we were looking at these exemption requests on a case-by-case basis, we'd probably be hearing more of, doggone it, 15 billion gallons is 15 billion gallons. I think maybe, I I seem to recall you mentioning that 15 billion gallons figure once or twice, too. Really? Something about breaking the law. Breaking the law? I don't know. Yeah, well, it's it's pretty well spelled out, so. (laughs) Easy, steady. Let's let's just stick with it. (laughs) Hey, again, one thing that I because we ran out of time because of the mm-hmm. one last question that I threw in there, mm-hmm. one thing that I did not get to do was thank Governor DeSantis for his service to okay. the country. Uh, that was a mistake on my part. I should have done that right up front. Uh, uh, so thank you, Governor DeSantis, for your service to the country. Thank you so much for listening this morning. Come back this afternoon. We've got Sam Hudson from Corn Belt Marketing. If you're living with diabetes and using insulin, you know the pain of pricking your fingers over and over again. By wearing a small remote device called a continuous glucose monitor or CGM, you can reduce the pain of pricking your fingers right away. If you're testing your blood sugar four or more times per day, injecting insulin three or more times per day, or using an insulin pump, call the Diabetic Health Hotline today and learn about the latest CGM technology. A CGM can immediately reduce pain. It's accurate, easy to use, and help you make better diabetes treatment decisions. And if you have Medicare, you can get a new CGM at little or no out-of-pocket cost. Plus, get free shipping and we'll bill your insurance company for you. Call now to receive your new continuous glucose monitor at little or no out-of-pocket cost. Paid for by U.S. Medical Supply. Call 800-556-9015. That's 800-556-9015. Again, 800-556-9015. That's 800-556-9015.